This is your host, Vernon Terrell, with Grace Ministries International, and it's time for Walking Free. And we're back here with Elizabeth Bowman, but we have a special guest, and that is Chris Bowman. So Chris and Elizabeth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Vernon, for having us on. Hey, Vernon, how are you today? I'm doing great. And, uh, you know, we heard from Elizabeth and we heard, you know, Elizabeth wrote a book, a great book. We're recommending it at uh, Grace Ministries called Encounter. And this is your personal guidebook for inner healing. And this goes through some very deep issues and uh, issues that sometimes we don't like to talk about, but these issues of uh, betrayal and, and hurt. And I read through, uh, this was uh, two episodes ago, uh, but I read through some of the uh, contents and uh, the book is divided into three parts and analyzing thoughts is your part one uh, with 30 separate uh, readings, identifying emotions is part two. Uh, and then victoriously overcoming. And Elizabeth, why don't you catch us up a little bit about the book, why you designed it the way you did, and a little bit more. So folks, if they missed the last one, I encourage you to go back two episodes and listen to that uh, session, that episode. But Elizabeth, tell us a little bit more about the book. Thanks so much, Vernon. Yes, Encounter is your personal guidebook. So it's a journal devotion, and you can use it for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, as it's broken up into three different parts. And the great thing about Encounter is it meets you exactly where you are in your walk with the Lord and encourages you in these deep, dark places to keep journaling, keep trusting, and keep moving forward in Him. Well, awesome. And that's what we want you to do. We want everybody, in fact, the whole purpose of the podcast is that many Christians are talking about being holy, talking about good marriage, talking about relationship. And a lot of times it's all talk. I, and I talk to people all the time. Been doing this for, what, 30 years. And uh, I've seen the gamut of people who say they know uh, identity, they understand the truth of God's grace, yet, yet, they're struggling. They're not walking in it. So what we want to do is help people walk free. That is the entire uh, mission of Grace Ministries is helping people walk free. And that might be through um, webinars. It might be through online resources. It could be through some of our group. It could be through one-on-one counseling. But there are books out there that can help you walk free and encounter is one of them. And so we talked about Elizabeth's side, if you will, her perspective of her journey two episodes ago. And I wanted to bring Chris in and say, Chris, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and what uh, and maybe if possible, 
how you uh, ended up in this place uh, that really prompted and was the genesis of the book Encounter for Elizabeth. But can you start with your journey, maybe how you grew up, uh, what it was like growing up, and bring us along so we can uh, understand a bit? Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to do that, Vernon. And, um, you know, in the interest of helping anyone who's listening, whose story is remotely like ours, um, you know, that's why I'm here is to, to offer that uh, so that someone might be able to relate to it. Um, I'll just go back to my childhood very briefly and concisely. And I also want to point out that when I talk about some things that I think might be somewhat causative for my issues that I dealt with, I certainly still take responsibility for every decision that I've made. And I just wanted to put that out there. So I don't want anyone to get the impression that I might be trying to blame my actions on, on a past history. So um, there are influences, but ultimately we make our decisions that we're responsible for. So, um, you know, I grew up an only child in Asheville, North Carolina, and um, pretty normal uh, upbringing, uh, two great parents, um, the parents, my parents did get separated when I was 13 and, uh, you know, ultimately divorced. It was a pretty amicable divorce. There was no, uh, there was no animosity. There was, there was, it was very quietly handled. And it, it, as a matter of fact, it was so quietly handled that it kind of shocked me when I found out that they were getting separated. I had felt like everything was fine. And being an only child, you know, it was just the three of us in the household. Um, I ended up, staying with my mom and my dad moved out to a separate place and I saw him regularly. There was, there was no problem there at all. And, um, about a year later, my mom actually moved away. Uh, she moved halfway around the world to South Africa and it's a fairly long story, but she went into business with a gentleman from South Africa who was importing arts and crafts and things from South Africa and, and selling them in the United States. Business was going quite, quite well. And then about a year later, after she had invested in the business and joined it, um, the United States put trade sanctions on South Africa for apartheid. This is back in like the early 80s. So with all that going on, the trade immediately stopped. So the business immediately stopped. And my mom was faced with a tough decision, either move to South Africa in 1982 or 83 and potentially, you know, be able to keep her savings and stay invested in the business and keep the business going or B don't move to South Africa and lose all of her savings and lose everything as a single mom. So she made the difficult choice to, to move and she offered me the choice. I could either stay or I could go. Um, I chose to stay. Uh, I certainly didn't want to leave my friends and what I had going on at home and I moved in with my dad. Again, that was handled very smoothly, easily. But I believe in retrospect, it was a very traumatic moment for me, for my mom to you know, move halfway around the world when I was living with her. I don't think I perceived it at the time as an abandonment, but I think that subconsciously I probably did. And how old, with, how old were you again at that point? I was almost 15. Almost 15, okay. Yeah. So I, I felt angry at her about this and and I didn't stay in touch as well as I should. And of course back then there were no cell phones. So we're literally writing letters and long distance phone calls um with phones that actually had cords. So it was a long wow. time. Ago. Yeah. And um I just point that out because it's a lot easier now to communicate around the world than it was back then in the early 80s. So 
long story short, I had some animosity towards towards uh, my mom at that time, but I just didn't really realize it. So I ended up having um, issues with, uh, I ended up developing issues with uh, sexual addiction throughout my teens. Um, I discovered pornography at an early age and, uh, you know, started, I guess, dabbling in that as a teen. And uh, that continued, you know, through college and in my early adulthood. And unfortunately, that addiction uh, extended and progressed into uh, into more. It progressed into, you know, wanting myself wanting to act out some of the fantasies that I had developed. So I won't go any further than that. But needless to say, as an as a full blown adult, very functioning adult. You know, I went through high school, made great grades, went to university, uh, ended up going to dental school. So no problem on the achievement front, but on the personal side, there was a there was a secret. You know, there was a a, a secret that I had, and no one knew about it. Where was your faith? At great this- question. Um, my faith was not strong by any sense. Uh, I did believe in God. I believed in Jesus, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Didn't have a relationship with God. Went to church every Sunday, uh, all through high school. When I went to college, I didn't go to church at all. Um, I didn't necessarily avoid church. It frankly just wasn't really a thought. Um, I didn't really think to go to church. Uh, There might be moments when I would be invited to go, but I just wasn't interested. Um, I don't perceive that I was angry with God. Um, I just was fairly indifferent, to be honest. So my relationship with the Lord was very weak, uh, almost non-existent, um, didn't really consider it very much. But I still did believe from my upbringing that God is real. Jesus is real. I, I guess I just didn't have time for him at the moment. And um, I felt like my own life was more important, which we all know is a, is a lie. So. You know, fast forward to meeting Elizabeth. Uh, I met her and we hit it off right away and started dating right away. And about 10 months later, we were engaged and we got married about 10 months later. And then, as she said earlier, uh, you know, we started having children within a few months of getting married. So she was pregnant about three months after we got married. And then we had our first child a week after our first anniversary. Um Two more children later, and here we are with three young kids, and um, just rocking it. Young parents living, you know, the typical Charlotte family lifestyle. Um, everything was going smoothly and fine, and I still had that secret. And was it, it still? But was that still uh, um, that secret? Was it still an issue with you throughout your um, dating and engagement and? That was a secret you even withheld from uh, Elizabeth. Oh, absolutely, and and it's it's a secret I not only withheld from her, I withheld from everyone. Uh, no, no one knew about this, and and it would come and go. It wasn't a constant thing. It wasn't something that happened all the time. It would it would let's use the term flare up. It would flare up at times, and and of course, there's a lot of shame about this. Um, a lot of shame and guilt, but at the same time, as you probably know about the cycle of shame that would usually lead to feelings of uh, 
unworthiness and, and things like that that would that would then again lead to wanting comfort, which would lead you right back to the addiction. So, you know, I was going through all this and I guess I was just existing with it. And uh, on that that fateful night where she discovered my secret, um, obviously it was a shock to me. And it was very scary to me because the woman that I love and the family that I love was all of a sudden in jeopardy. And, you know, my immediate response was, was of course, you know, fear and, and just a tremendous outpouring of guilt and, and shame. And, you know, on that evening we spoke and, and I tell you what, the one thing I've got to thank God for is, is her forgiveness. Uh, because she had the grace to forgive me, a grace that can only come from God. And that was probably mixed in with her shock and her anger and her hurt. And I confessed to her that night. I said, I have had a sexual addiction problem since I was a teenager. And really since a preteen, I was 10 years old when I was first exposed to a suitcase full of magazines under my parents' bed to be exact. And, um, you know, what happened next was extraordinary. And I got to tell you for any of those men who may be listening or, or women who may be listening because women are the fastest growing segment of yes, they are actually addicted. And, um, for anyone who may be listening, when the time comes that you're ready to either reveal your addiction or, if your addiction is revealed by someone else, I would say the first 72 to 96 hours is the most important time of your life. And the chain of events that happened over the next several days was, was really unbelievable. Um, the next morning, I called our pastor and he gave me the names of some resources that I could reach out to, which I did immediately. Um the very next day, which would be the second day after this happened, I found myself in my pastor's office meeting with him. And the next day I was in the office of a Christian counselor who, whose name he had given me and met with him for about an hour and a half. And then the next day, uh, Elizabeth and I actually met with a husband and wife who counsel families on this very thing. And, you know, all this happened within three days and just bam, bam, bam. And I'll tell you, you know, that was one of the major factors that was able to lead me to salvation and to lead our marriage to being saved. Um, I'll still say that, you know, Elizabeth's ability and decision to forgive me was the most powerful thing and the most important thing. Um, but at the same time, all these other events really came into play. Um, I'll tell you one more story that leads to my being uh, saved, and it's it's really incredible. Um, throughout this process, there were a few people that I had spoken to about this, and one was my father. And believe it or not, a couple other people that I had spoken to about this were people in Elizabeth's family. Uh, one of those was her brother, who is actually also an ordained minister. And as we were pulling into the home of the couple that we were going to counsel with on Friday night, and this all happened first on a Monday, the discovery was a Monday. So on Friday night, just a few days later, we're in the home of 
the, the, the couple. And I was on the phone with her brother, Elizabeth's brother. And he said, hey, what's your address? Let me make sure I have your address. I'm going to send you something. And I gave him my address. We went in and we, we spent the evening with, with uh, uh, Chris and Sandra. So then we left, we went home, went to sleep. And the next day, Elizabeth was going to be leaving with the kids to go to the beach. This was the weekend before the 4th of July. And it's Saturday morning. We had a vacation planned. And we had decided, actually, Elizabeth had decided, and I agreed it was the, probably the best decision, that she was going to go with the kids for a few days. And then I was going to join them on you know, the morning of the 4th of July. I was going to drive down early morning, but she needed a few days to herself first. And I understood that and I honored that. So Saturday morning, after all these things had happened, I had met with all these people. Um, I made breakfast for the family, kind of got them off into the into the vehicle and they took off. It was about 8.45 a.m. And here I am now alone at home, washing the dishes and sitting in my own stuff, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. My own guilt, my own shame, my own regret. And obviously it was very painful. So what was interesting though, is right after they left, I mean, not five minutes after they left, the doorbell rang it's Saturday morning at about 8.50. And I went over to the door and as I went over to the door, the FedEx guy was walking away from the house and obviously there was a package there. And it was the package that her brother had sent me. I didn't know he was going to send it to me overnight with a Saturday morning delivery which is pretty unusual. So I bring the package in. It's a box. So I bring the box into the living room, sat down, and I opened the box. And the way I like to tell this part of the story is, as I opened the box, there were some things in the box, some some books and videos and things like that. And it's not really important exactly what was in the box, but there was one other thing in the box to me. Jesus was in the box. Mm. And when I opened that box and I saw some things in there, I just felt something I'd never felt before. I felt an overpowering wave of emotion. And I knew at that moment that I was being saved. And I've told this story a couple dozen times, most at least a couple dozen times. This was in 2012. And every single time I tell the story, I tear up. Um, I'm tearing up a little bit now. And, and, and it's every single time. It's crazy. I mean, and, and every time I start the story, I'm asking myself, I wonder if I can do this without tearing up. But Jesus was in the box. Right. And I was just overwhelmed. So I called Elizabeth five minutes later, later and I said, hey, you're not going to believe this, but I, I believe I've just been saved. And I had always joked with her about this. Like, you know, people would always say, oh, I was saved on January 2nd or, or whatever day it was. And and I would always joke because there was a beer commercial where the beer would have a born on date for, for freshness or whatever. And I always joked that I didn't have a reborn on date. You know, I didn't have a born again on date. And um, I told her now I have a born again on date. And it's, it's June 30th, 2012. Um you know, that was the moment that I realized that I was saved by the love of Jesus. And, uh, you know, from that point forward, 
we've done a lot of work on our marriage. We've faced a lot of challenges in our marriage. And um, every time we face a challenge, you know, we, we, we tend to draw closer together. And we've had no shortage of challenges since then um, with, with kids and everything else. So I hope that sums up no, the, that does. the situation. No. So um, tell me, if you had to, it sounds like uh, in your story that um, the opening salvo into this, uh, into this uh, patch, this really very challenging situation was pornography. Uh, that Absolutely. was like the opening salvo. And then I assume, you know, as the internet progresses, it moves to internet from paper to internet uh, and various, like you said, acting out, you know, uh, times. Uh, is that something that you have seen when you were going through this? Were there other people around you that maybe you were aware of that were going through something similar uh, or was this so secret you didn't even want to, you didn't, I know you didn't talk about it. It was a secret, obviously. Uh, and, but were there, were you aware of other people experiencing this or did you think you were just all alone? That's a great question. And very clearly to me, and I guess because I'm an only child and I've, you know, done a lot of, I've, I've done a lot of things in my life and done a lot of learning on my own. You know, I never had a big brother, big sister, or even a little brother, little sister to bounce things off of or to learn from. And I felt like, I, I mean, I'm sure I wasn't the only one that had the same issues, but I was certainly the only one I knew of that had the same issues. And it was nothing that I had related to anyone else other than myself. I knew it was my issue. And, and uh, I, again, I, I think I'd be naive to think that I was the only one that had the problem. But at the same time, I sure did feel like I was the only one that had the problem. Right. Right. You felt alone in that. Did you, was it hard hiding all the time or, you know, not, and I know it wasn't 24 seven, but was it hard hiding? Oh, absolutely. Um, that's the worst part. I think if you, and, and again, since then I've been in men's groups and I've been in, uh, other organizations and groups where we've talked about the struggles that men go through, uh, or anyone who's sexually addicted and, and hiding is the worst part. Mm. Um, that's the, that's the most work. I think with any addiction, hiding it is the worst part. And the ironic thing that's, that's sad is that the night that Elizabeth found out, you know, for her, that's the beginning. And for me, it's the beginning of the end of my addiction. And, and I won't say it's the end end because, you know, addictions take constant effort and constant work. But for her, it was the beginning of the discovery and the beginning of her journey. And for me, it, it, it ended the secrecy of my journey, if that makes sense. So there, in, in one sense, there was a great relief when I was able to confess to her, even though it wasn't on the terms that I would choose. <laughs> um, there was a great relief you know, that I had, while at the same time for her, it's horror and shock and all those negative emotions that, that someone would feel. Right. So, that's the, she uses the word betrayal, right, Elizabeth? That's the that's word right. you felt, the emotion you felt? Yes. You're exactly right, Vernon. I think that's the hard part for couples is exactly what he said is 
you know, the secret's out. I don't have to hide anymore. I feel free. I feel light. And then the woman, or if it's the man, depending on the situation, you know, all of a sudden it's like someone has thrown up all over her and it is completely undoing. And you're thinking to yourself, how did I miss this? What am I going to do? How am I going to walk in this? And I think those are the real questions that go through your head and, you know, the shame and the guilt and the I'm not good enough and all the the enemy throws blame. What I could have done. Was it my fault? All this stuff comes at you. I mean, it really is devastating to be there in that place. It's like I said in the last podcast, it's like a tsunami came and I had no idea of the weather report. So there was no way to prepare for what I found. It was so bittersweet. In fact, you, as you said, you've got this, this confession that for Chris was a relief in a sense, you know, you found there's confession. It's like the secret's out and there's that sense of relief. Although of course, shame and all those other things that go with, but there is a sense of relief and you are in the opposite end mm-hmm. of that spectrum and and you're down in the depths that's of right. despair and that's exactly uh, right and i think that's the real challenging place for couples and honestly to be able to have community and accountability that met us with the support when they did, it was so helpful. So for any listeners that are struggling or keeping a secret to be able to reach out to your community and reach out to someone and begin to share what's going on and find that deeper healing. And and that's where encounter comes in to walk through those deep emotions, journaling, asking yourself those questions, and then moving towards the Lord in the place of freedom. You know, I find this is something I find very interesting though, from Chris's Chris, from your perspective is that you could have just said no big deal, Elizabeth. You could have kept, you could have made up a story and kept the bigger secret by just disclosing a little secret and said, Oh yeah, that was one time or minimized it and gone about and kept your secret. What kind of prompted you to really just lay it all out? Well, I, I think once the once the word's out, the way I saw it at the time, once the word's out, I think it was time for me to reveal it. And I think to try to continue to cover something up, it creates bigger problems. And it would create a situation where I think it would have gone, it would have gotten deeper and it would have gotten worse. And, you know, the betrayal was already exposed. And I think it was time for me to say, yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got an issue here. And, you know, what's ironic and, and, and frustrating for me and for any spouse on, on the side of it that I was on, which is, I, you know, I think for Elizabeth, it was probably her side was probably the worst side as far as a trauma goes. Uh, for me, 
yeah, there was a sense of relief there. I'd say that was probably 20 to 25% of my emotional uh, capacity at that moment. There was also the guilt, there was the shame, but there was a frustration because when you're married to someone, you know that when, when your spouse is going through something, the person that they should be able to turn to the most is, is you. And I knew that I wasn't, and also I'm a, I'm a dentist. I fix things. (laughs) I I heal, I heal parts of people's bodies, you know, and, and I always like to go in there and fix it. And at this particular moment, I was not able to be the one to fix it. I needed to be out of the room for a while. (laughs) And, and it was very frustrating for me that, you know, during the time where my wife needed me the most, I was the absolute last person that she would turn to for help in this situation. And, and that was very um, disheartening for me. And I think that goes along with all the emotions that kick in when this stuff happens. Um, It's a, it's a, it's a tough time. You you knew uh, you had the wherewithal to know maybe uh, by God just um, working in you, during that time, and by the way, loving you through that time always. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had a sense, it sounds like, that this is not healthy, this is not right, this is not good for me or my family, even in the midst of the failure. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I think that's the most important part, Vernon, that he was willing, yeah. he was honest. He was vulnerable. He was authentic. He took responsibility and he was willing to do whatever it took to bring our marriage back to restoration and healing. And, you know, it's so beautiful, even though the process has been so hard at different times, but our relationship today is so much better. And in 2014, I think it was, was it 14 when we renewed our vows with our pastor? I believe so. Mm -hmm. So Chris and I really felt that it was important to renew our vows, to renew our covenant with the Lord. So we scheduled a meeting with our pastor and did have a new ceremony, wedding ceremony. And we brought our kids and I actually wore the white dress that I wore on our rehearsal dinner night. And to me, and and I will never forget our pastor looked at us and he was like, that's like putting a nail in the devil's head, (laughs) right? Because what was so bad and what was so awful, God was making beautiful And really working in and through our hearts to bring us to a place of unity in our marriage to where that we were authentic, broken, but we were authentic with each other and able to really know who each other were and is. Well, what? let me set a quick stage. There's a couple, let's say, that... The man, it typically is, but as you said, it can go both ways. But this man is struggling. The secret is still a secret. But he's coming to both of you for counsel. What would you tell them? The secret's not out yet. How would you counsel them? What would you tell them? Uh, and these and and they're believers. By the way, I find that um, many, in fact, 
vast uh, majority of men, whether they're Christian or not, but Christian men struggle with pornography. Seen it, been there myself. Absolutely. Uh, and what would you counsel that man to do? Chris, start with you, and then Elizabeth, come jump in. Yeah, well, that's a it's a it's a great question, and it's a tough question, and I can't say that I have all the answers, but if I can relate an analogy from my my field, <laughs> um, you know, every day I see patients who have teeth that have various issues, and one of those issues could be. Uh, a cracks in a tooth or an old filling and and that tooth looks like it could break sometime soon if you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so let's pretend that your marriage is that tooth and and i frequently say this to patients and and it, because it's true i say you know what if we fix this before it breaks i can most likely control how it gets fixed and i can most likely control the outcome to the extent that i can um, if it breaks before I fix it, it may break in a way that it can't be fixed. It may break in a way that, that requires a lot more treatment than what I can do right now to fix it. It might break in a way that, uh, that, that is maybe a little, uh, a little more difficult than it is if we just do it now. So the point is, if we fix something before it breaks, we have a lot more control over the outcome. We can guide and direct the outcome. Now, I am not suggesting that we have total control over our lives and our marriage because God does. But I think you get the analogy. If if you're able to approach your spouse before all hell breaks loose, so to speak, and say, hey, look, there's something really important I need to talk to you about, and I'm not really sure how to talk to you about it, so we're just going to talk about it. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I don't know the right way to do this for every couple because every couple is different. Sure. But I, that that's the first thing that came to mind when you were asking the question is if we fix this before it breaks, we sure can have a lot more control over how we fix it. Elizabeth, and, what do you say? Uh, honestly, Vernon, I, as I said in the last podcast, the secrets keep you sick mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you were only as sick as your secrets. And to be able to be honest and vulnerable and take responsibility and trust and surrender to the Lord, you don't know what the outcome's going to be with the spouse. You cannot control her response or his response. That's true. But what you can is be honest and forthcoming and vulnerable and say, I am really struggling and I have not been faithful. I have been living a completely different life and I'm sorry. And I don't know how to move forward, but to keep that in and to keep that secret, the enemy wins. But what about the guy who says, oh, but Chris, Elizabeth, my wife doesn't know, and she will 100% leave me. I'm just going to do this on my own and and fix it, and, and, and that way everybody's okay. But that's a lie from the enemy because 
until we can surrender. And that's a tough, that's a really tough word to say, but furthermore to actually do. But we have to surrender to him. Even the results of my confession, let's say. Exactly. Yeah. And we have to trust in the Lord that, you know, no matter what, I have got to have a clean heart and pure hands. And I've got to walk holy before my God. And I haven't been. And I've got to make a change whether or not that person decides to leave or stay. There's no control over how the other responds. And I say that because everyone's response to this is different. And it's super scary. It's scary to come forward and admit, hey, I'm really struggling with pornography. I've been out with prostitutes. I've been to massage parlors or whatever that looks like, right? But until we can get honest with ourselves and with the Lord, we are not walking free, Vernon. We are walking in chains, handcuffed in a jail, spiritually. Right. Pretending to walk free is not walking free. That's exactly right. And we've got to take our mask off and lay it down at the foot of the cross hold our hands up high and say, Lord, forgive me, forgive yourself and walk in healing and wholeness. That's good. Uh, Let me ask uh, Chris and Elizabeth, any final words you would want to encourage uh, folks uh, who may be uh, walking through this uh, on either the side of uh, the struggling side or those who maybe have a spouse that they're aware of that is dealing with this? How can you encourage them? Final words. Well, the first thing is to pray and to, and to listen for the Lord's word, because, uh, you know, even though I just alluded to feeling like you have more control over situation, I, you know, I want to remember that, that God is in control and that he drives the bus and, um, you know, one thing I thought of, and I'll, I'll add this as far as anyone who may be struggling with either revealing it or sharing it with a spouse, you know, I think about who I was and what I was like before Elizabeth's discovery. And I think about what I was like in the short term after the discovery. And now nine years later, the long term after the discovery and I can tell you I'm a lot better now than I was before. And I was probably better shortly after the discovery than, than I was before. And, and um, it's, it's difficult because like Elizabeth said, you're living a lie and living a lie, you know, living fiction and, you know, living in fiction may feel okay, but it's still fiction. And I'll add one more thing. Our kids know about this. We have teenage kids. They know about this. They haven't known for a number of years, but they've known they've known for a while. And one of our children reacted very angrily, very angry. And I had to deal with that too. Right. You know, now now it starts all over again. You know, for me, and um, and for all of us. 
And I'll tell you, you know, I had a conversation with him recently. Our relationship is repaired now and it's very strong and it's getting stronger. Elizabeth told me one day, she goes, you know, your relationship with him is going to be much stronger after because of this. And, and I believe that. And I was talking to him not too long ago, a couple of months ago. And it's, I just, I felt like the Lord was telling me to, to tell him this. I said, you know what? I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, but I'm a better dad now because of those mistakes and what I've learned from them. And I would never be able to say that if I had held on to those secrets. That's exactly right. And, you know, I think I would just add the hope that he is the hope. Jesus is our hope. And no matter what the outcome is, our hope is in him. And it says that his rod and his staff will comfort us and goodness and mercy will follow us. If we choose to believe that. Mm. But hope is, that's the encouragement is that in the dark valleys, he shows up and you get to experience him for who he is for you. And you're changed. And like Chris said, is even through all this, the Lord has burned out so much of me that was not good either. And I think together today, we are so much greater as husband and wife than we were the day that we walked down the aisle, the day that I walked down the aisle to meet him, September 28th, 2002. Well, I'll tell you, um, the Lord, everyone's on a journey. We're all on a journey. And the wonderful thing, and this is what the enemy twists, is the Lord is always for us. He's not against us. The Lord died for us. Uh, He loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. Mm -hmm. And God was loving Chris in the midst of the struggle. Absolutely. The enemy wants to say, you know, keep it secret. God's not going to like you. No one's going to like you. Keep the secret because you're bad. It's all this, all this messages coming, you know, uh, and that's the enemy talking. God says, I'm for you. You can trust me. Bring Mm -hmm. this to the light. Yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough, but bring it to the light. And I like something you said, Elizabeth, that reminded me of one of my favorite verses in 1 John 4, 16. It says, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us. And, you know, we have come to know. And many people say, yeah, I know God loves me. Yeah, I know God. But that's not the whole verse. We have come to know and have believed the love that God has for us. And if we can get our minds and our hearts wrapped around the fact that God loves us, he knows all about us, the journey we're on doesn't surprise him. And the sooner we 
come clean, if you will, the sooner we come to him, open arms, open heart. He already knows all about it. He'll deal with the results and all the complications and the consequences. He just wants us because he loves us and he knows these secrets, these secrets are not good for us. That's what is going to keep us in bondage. That's exactly right. hmm. I'll end it by saying, as I always do on this podcast, if you've been talking about this issue, maybe self-talking in your brain, which we all do. We all do it and we're trying to figure it out. And you know you need to take a step. And that step of faith may be talking to your spouse, talking to a pastor, talking to a Christian counselor, talking to someone. Well, it may be time to stop talking and start walking and take those first steps to experiencing the freedom where Christ has set you free. You've been listening to Walking Free a production of Grace Ministries International in Marietta, Georgia. For more information, go to our website at gmint.org. That's G-M-I-N-T dot O-R-G.